Hello, everyone. How are you? Good to see you here. Before I get started on uh, today's lesson, I uh, just wanted to comment on something from current events. I don't know if you saw it, but the Pope has obviously been reading my Bible study notes. Yes, the Pope, because the Pope has indicated that the, uh, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, is not being properly translated when it says uh, in your prayer to our Father, lead us not into temptation. And the Pope has recognized, correctly so, as those of you know who have been studying with us, that God does not lead anybody into temptation. He could not lead you into temptation. And so it's, it's really an, uh, an improper translation. Uh, God puts a hedge of protection around us. Sometimes we walk outside the hedge of protection. And when we walk outside the hedge of protection, we are going to face some evil. But God is not evil, is incapable of evil. And so uh, you need to be aware of that. So it's good to know that he's reading my stuff and that he and I are on, on the same page. Now, also, you know that uh, I have been speaking to you about speaking in sound bites. Uh, and it's interesting because I, was, I spent a couple hours with Hayes this week, uh, and I told him uh, about my position on sound bites, and he said, boy, I really like that idea. He, so I sent it to him. So if, if somehow it winds up in a sermon in the next couple of months, you should know that I... I, I I put him onto this subject, but he, he loves this subject, which I think is right. And it comes all out of, it comes out of the Scripture in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, where he, Peter says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. People see how you live. They see that there's something different about you, uh, even as you face hardship and suffering and persecution. And illness, and so they want to know what what is it, what is it that you have? Why do you have that hope? And so what I, Peter said, be prepared. And so this whole idea of sound bites is the idea that I have synthesized for you in a short, concise way what you can say to people when they ask you these questions. Now it's not meant to be definitive, and you can always incorporate your own personal trademark to it. But the idea is that I have concisely put together a short paragraph that you can use when people ask you about these things. Because the problem is this, and this came out of my professional life. I recognized that when I was in court, or I spoke to a client, or, or I was being interviewed by a newspaper on, on a case, I need to speak just the way advertisers speak. 30-second soundbite. In other words, bring exactly what you're saying in a short, concise way that people will remember. Instead, people say, why are you a Christian? And you go, oh, I I like the hats. You know, I mean, the point is you have not really properly thought of of a good answer. And so if if you look at what I've written for you, and if you don't have them, we'll we'll make more available for you. Uh, And I will write these periodically. For example, I say, if someone asks, why are you a Christian? The following could be said, I am a Christian because the Bible tells me that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins. 
I also know that after three days he was resurrected from the grave and was the only man who ever defeated death. Through his death I have everlasting life, and I have the assurance that someday I will be with him in heaven. I have accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Boom. There it is. You say that to somebody in a short way, they'll go like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's unbelievable. You've delivered. Why, why do you believe in the Bible? There's one. Why do you believe in the Bible? Come on, you know the Bible, written by men, just a bunch of fables and fairy tales. Come on, why do you believe in the Bible? Now, this is good because some of you are going to be um, spending Christmas with un- you know, unbelievers. You're going to be at a table, and somebody is inevitably going to drop one of these bombs on you. Okay? Well, I'm giving you some ammunition. All right? Be prepared. Why do you believe in the Bible? Well, I believe in the Bible because it is the inerrant word of God. It is internally consistent and sets out a historical basis for our faith that no other religion has. It was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. Without any collaboration on the part of these various authors, there is one consistent thread throughout. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to save humanity from sin. We believe that this book is the work and word of God. Boom. There it is. That's why I believe in the Bible. Pretty straightforward. How do do you respond to someone who says, I believe I am a good person and there's no one way to God. Now, that's a big one. That's probably going to come up. If you had a bet which one of these will come up, that's probably one. I'm a good person. I don't have to really go to church. I don't really have to go to church. I don't like church. Bunch of hypocrites in church. You know, bunch of hypocrites in church. But I'm a good person. I lead a good life. I'm a good husband, all right? How do you respond? Well, we could say the following. Jesus... Uh, Jesus was the only one to claim to be God and the only one to prove it. In his own words, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus rose from the grave, he was seen by over 500 people. He walked this earth for 40 days following his crucifixion. This proved that he was truly God since only God could defeat death. Pretty concise, straightforward answer. Uh, here's one, and this comes up from time to time. You meet some so-called intelligent people who will say, well, I believe the devil is merely a fictitious entity. Have you heard that? It's a fictitious entity. There really is no such thing as the devil. What do we say? Well, we could say the following. The Bible clearly teaches us that Satan was an actual entity that was cast from heaven. We know that in Revelation chapter 12, there was an angelic revolt against God led by Satan, whereby he took one-third of the angels with him. As a result of this revolt, God cast Satan and those revolting angels to earth and removed them from heaven. The world is his dominion, which is why we can only be protected by the cross of Jesus. There you go. What do we say to someone who says, I'm a good person, I believe God will look kindly on my good ways? And reward me for my good ways. Well, uh, I, I do not think that I have to be a Christian if my acts are righteous enough. If I'm a good enough person, doing enough good things, I don't really have to be a Christian. God's going to grade me on those acts. Well, we might say the following. If merely being good was enough to save ourselves, why would God send Jesus 
to die a horrible death on the cross. That's a, that's a good opening position. You see, God has said that not one human being has ever been righteous, teaching that to Jewish people that they could never keep the law. The law was given to them so that they would recognize that they desperately needed a Savior. No amount of good works would ever save them. When we are saved by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are freed from sin and forgiven forever. Thereafter, as we follow Jesus as a disciple, we do good works on his behalf because we love him. Day two. God will reward those good works done on behalf of the Lord, not done on behalf of you. Amen? All right? Uh, and so that's pretty good. Uh, uh, if I might say so myself, actually. <laughs> I'm going to have to memorize these. I, I like this. What, what would you say to someone who might say that, that they believe, again, that the Bible is merely a group of fables written hundreds of years after the fact, full of errors? That's one you're going to see come up from time to time. All right. Yeah, I understand. Uh, some of the stuff that's in the Bible might be accurate just by accident, but it's, it was written hundreds of years after the event uh, in which people copied other people's writings, and it's full of errors and translational issues. I can't accept that uh, as being accurate. Well, you could say the following. Well, one of the ways that historians judge accuracy in, a, in ancient documents is to view the number of original manuscripts written in close proximity to the original event. You got that? Original manuscripts written as close in time to the original event, pretty much on parchment, written on parchment as close in time as possible to the original event. Well, as to the great Greek and Roman manuscripts, uh, the Greek philosophers, the great Roman historians, there are generally less than five, got that, five manuscripts written at least a thousand years after the event. You got that? A thousand years after the event, they come about the first manuscripts, and there generally is fewer than five. Contrast this to Christianity, where we have literally hundreds of original manuscripts, some written no later than 50 years after the event. Did you get what I just said? 50 years after the event, and we are getting hundreds of manuscripts. Hundreds, many hundreds, uh, and, and uh, the balance of these other hundreds are usually within 200 years. So between 50 and 200 years, many, many hundreds of original manuscripts which can all be cross-checked and which appear to be the same. As contrasted to these other items coming out of Greek and Roman philosophers in which there's a far, far fewer number uh, far greater distance. Anybody who was fairly objective as a historian would be able to tell you that there's uh, uh, a big difference. And one more that I wanted to bring up to you, and this is important, uh, because this will come up. Sometimes you will hear people say, well, I'm a Christian. Why? Because I belong to the blank church. I'm not going to say which church. You can put any church you want in there. But I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven because I am a Baptist. 
okay? Usually Baptists don't say it, but, you know, I'm just using that for purposes of explanation. Well, how do you respond to somebody who says that that's going to be their mechanism for getting to heaven, their church membership? Well, one of the things I would say is as follows. One of the things we learned from studying the life of Jesus is that he was never interested in legalism or membership in a religious denomination. One of the reasons that institutional Judaism despised Jesus was that he did not believe in the many rules and regulations that had been adopted by the religious leadership. Jesus regularly violated the Sabbath in order to do the work of God. Jesus emphasized that we needed to have a personal abiding faith in God. The faith is not from any institutional religion, but rather directly from God through the Holy Spirit. We see this in his life when he brought the Samaritan woman at the well into salvation. We see it at the cross where he speaks to the thief next to him who was just asked Jesus to remember him in the kingdom. And Jesus says to that man, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Not, not, not you need to go to theology 101. You understand? You understand? And so that's the point. That's why uh, you need to have these. Stick them in your Bible. Reflect on it. Be prepared because you know what? It's going to come up. It's going to come up. Somebody's going to ask you a question, uh, and I don't want you to excuse yourself. Get on the phone and call me at home. But you could do that too if you wanted to. All right? I told you that. You can call me anytime, anytime. But this is how God wants you to think, to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. All right, we are now going to continue in our study of John chapter 16, uh, verses 16 to 22, and Jesus again is going to speak about the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been speaking about the Holy Spirit now uh, for uh, several chapters. It's called the final discourse in which Jesus is teaching his disciples what they should expect, what's going to happen. And Jesus is aware of the fact that dark days are ahead. Your first century disciple, first century church, you're going to be facing some very, very difficult times. And Jesus is preparing them for that. So if you would open your Bibles and turn to John 16, verse, John 16, verse 16. And Jesus says, In a little while... You will see me no more, and then after a while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a while, you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. By the way, this is why I say to you, you should be heartened, because these are 11 guys who spent three solid years with Jesus, 24 hours a day, 52 weeks a year, and here it is at the end of the, of the three years, they still don't really get it. So if you find yourself at times saying, you know, Lord, I'm, I don't really get this whole walk with you. I, I, I really have some issues. Be assured, my friend, this is a walk that takes years, that takes years, and God will reveal this to you through his Holy Spirit, and you should be prepared for that. But what I love about Jesus is they, they didn't come and ask him. They were ashamed to ask Jesus. 
They were intimidated to ask him, but Jesus sees into our hearts. He answers the questions we don't even propound. You find yourself in that way? You know, so often when we take prayer requests, there are many people that never raise their hand or don't articulate it, yet they have enormous needs. It's as if God reads your heart. He reads your heart, and I want to assure you that he does that. So they kept, saying, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Notice this verse. Hayes referred to Paul mentioning this issue in childbirth, but Jesus said it first. Verse 21, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And so Jesus is telling them to be prepared for difficult times, dark days ahead. You're going to despair. You're going to go into some kind of depression. You're going to see me leave this world uh, and many of you are just going to collapse because of that. Um, and, and I would say that Jesus is speaking to us today when he talks like that, because he knows that, that as Christians, you're going to go through some dark days. Some hard times are going to come your way. Uh, we're gonna, as we're getting older, we're going to get some, some uh, illnesses, you know, some diagnoses are going to come into our lives that are going to be very disheartening. Uh, and God wants to reassure you that he is still in control of your life. This is important because if you turn on tele television and you watch any number of televangelists, you're going to hear theology that is flat out wrong. You got it? Flat out wrong. It's almost as if in order to get on TV, you have to sell bad theology. Because that's what people want to hear. Oh, yeah, I want to know. I'm going to get a big house. I'm going to be affluent. I'm going to have good times. Nothing bad's going to come my ways. I'm going to be lifted up. And you know, you can follow the channels, and any, any number of these guys are out there peddling that. Then, of course, they'll ask for a donation. Then you could send them, a, they'll send you a prayer cloth. You can sit, put it on your windshield, you know, or you know, on your head, uh, whatever it is. And I told you that I had a poor guy who was a driver for me in New Jersey who routinely picked me up from the airport, uh, and this guy had nothing. And yet he sent about $500 to one of these guys because he believed that the guy, he was going to get a new car by doing this, all right? Uh, and, of course, it's, it's, it's false theology. Jesus, you're hearing it right here. Dark times, difficult times, but be prepared God will not let you down. And the reason he will not let you down is God has given you a comforter who will be with you, who will speak to you, who will raise you up, who is already in your hearts. And so here Jesus is saying, in a little while. Meaning what? Meaning he's going to be crucified. He's going to be executed in a horrible way on the cross. And so 
now this question about your, in, in a little while, but your sorrow will be replayed by joy in a little while. Well, what is Jesus talking about there? He can be speaking really on multiple levels. Uh, uh, this ambiguity really has three different ways of interpretation. First, it can refer to Jesus' death, coming death, and the three days of his entombment, when he will not be seen. They will not see him. Uh, but there will be a resurrection, and then the disciples will see him, and so they'll be full of joy when they see that. Second, it could possibly indicate the periods before and after Pentecost. Jesus is going to ascend to heaven. And then there will be a period of 40 days when there will be, Jesus will not be here. And we don't see Jesus. We don't know what's going to happen. And Jesus tells us to pray and be prepared because a comfort is going to come. And then the day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit comes on the church. And so that sorrow, again, in a short while, is replayed with joy. Or finally, it may even describe the church age. The church age starts on Pentecost, all right? And from this, that period forward, we will not see Jesus with our physical eyes. We will not be able to touch Jesus with our physical hands, but only through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, will we be able to see Jesus and effectively touch him in the Spirit. And so, therefore, that sorrow will be replayed by joy. So you see these things, and Jesus is preparing them, recognizing, telling them, this is what the Holy Spirit is about. There's a great passage that underscores the despair uh, of the disciples during this period of time, and that's found in Luke 24. Please turn there. Luke 24. And this is Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Again, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. All right? Uh, and, and why I, I love this passage is it shows you who Jesus is, how he's concerned about your heart and your despair, uh, and really what the Holy Spirit is going to do for you, even when you go through dark times. Uh, now I'll set it up. These two disciples are leaving Jerusalem. They, they had been there and waited for Jesus to reveal himself. The uh, early disciples thought that Jesus would become a, a, a political leader, that he would replace the Romans, they would lead them out of captivity, uh, and instead they saw him die on the cross, they saw him put in a grave, and now they are crushed. There can be no greater amount of despair. They had left everything for Jesus. They had put themselves in a position in which they were being persecuted by uh, institutional Judaism. Uh, and yet now it all collapsed. And so watch, read with me, if you would, uh, on Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them, disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now get a picture of this. They're walking, and Jesus has disguised himself. They cannot recognize who Jesus is, but he's walking along with them. And I want you to get a picture of the Holy Spirit doing that with you, that you may not even recognize it in your dark times. And he's walking with you, and he's going to talk to you, 
And he's going to speak hope to you. Look at this verse next. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Of course, you know he knew what they were discussing. But that's how Jesus is. He always seems to come with a question first uh, instead of a declaration. What, what are you talking about? What is, it, what is it that's bothering you? What's on your heart? What do you need to speak to me about? They stood still. Their faces downcast. Can you imagine the extent of the de despair and depression? We've left everything for Jesus. And now it's all collapsed. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? <laughs> Jesus is great, isn't it? Well, what? Well, what things? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. You notice at that point he was a prophet. He's not the son of God. You see that there in their heart? I mean, obviously, he was a prophet. He was a prophet. Verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Why do you think that was important? Because they remembered what Jesus said about the third day. And now it's the third day and he's still not here. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of, the, of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He's not here. He's dead. Our world is destroyed. Everything that we could look for in the despair and the depression is enormous. And this is where Jesus comes to, to your aid. This is where he serves us. And this is why you have the Holy Spirit today. This is why the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. I want, this is, I'm really speaking to you today because I know that there are people in this group that are hurting badly. You don't even tell us or tell your friends how badly you're hurting, but I know you're hurting. Uh, and, and you're going through great temptation. That Jesus is speaking to you today to let you know that the Holy Spirit, deep within your heart, is there to comfort you, to speak to you, if you allow him to do that. Uh, verse 25, And he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. Can you imagine that Jesus goes immediately to the heart of the issue? Didn't you read the scriptures? Didn't you listen to what he said? Everything he said is borne out. You know that the Christ had to suffer. If you'd read Psalm 22 and David, you would have recognized that even crucifixion was specifically spoken about. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now here's the thing. Jesus uh, did that to them because he was physically with them. The Holy Spirit does it today to you because the Holy Spirit has replaced Jesus in your heart. He is the embodiment of Jesus in your heart. It is the Holy Spirit that will explain 
and open the Scriptures. Even now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to you with words that God has put in my mouth to deliver to you through the Holy Spirit. If I ever say anything that's not in conformity with the Scripture or not supported by Scripture, you have my, my permission to get up and walk out. Don't waste your time here. Don't waste your time here. I said that one time in one of the Monday, Monday groups. And one of our dear brothers, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, got up and walked out. And he was right in the front. He got up and he walked straight out. I won't point to where he is, but he's sitting in the second row here. He got up and walked out. And like after a five-second delay, everybody burst out laughing because they thought it was a gag. But it wasn't a gag. He had to go to the bathroom. So... Yes, you could go to the bathroom at any time you have to do. You can get up. But the point I was saying is if what I'm saying is not in conformity with God's word, don't waste your time, which is why much of what you're hearing on television is wasting your time. It's bad theology. God doesn't want you to have to listen to bad theology. Speak, listen to what God says in the word. And so, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, as they approached the village in which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. He was testing them, really, was testing them. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And, and here's the point, and I'm going to make the analogy to, to you today in the Holy Spirit. Do you remember as a kid when your parents would drag you off to church? I hated to go to church. I'm going to confess it right now. I hated to go to church. What it meant for me was every Wednesday and Friday night when my friends would be out playing football or baseball, my parents would drag me in a car and we went to church. And we spent two hours in church. And I had to wear a sport coat and a tie going to church even when I was 10 and 11 years old. I didn't like going to church. And on Sunday, on Sunday, are you kidding me? I wanted to watch Wonderama. You remember Wonderama. Maybe you didn't get it down here. Maybe that was a New York show. But, but I wanted to watch Wonderama on Sunday morning. I never got to see it. We were in church from like 9 o'clock to 1, all right, by the time we came home. So I really didn't like going to church. But you see what happens when the Holy Spirit comes alive in your heart and speaking to you? As they said here, Jesus, don't leave us. Stay with us. You can't wait to come. I hope you feel like you can't wait to come to this BLG. That you can't wait to be a part of the brothers and sisters that you have here. That God is speaking to your heart and you see it and you feel it and then you can't wait to get that. Now, when that's the case, God is alive in you through the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. And so look at, look at what happens next. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road? and open the scriptures. Yes, they were. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does for you today. All right? Even in your despair, even in your dark moments, even in the bad diagnosis, the Holy Spirit is there to lift you up and affirm you uh, and encourage you. Uh, and so, really, this is important to understand this. I want you to see also how, 
how, uh, how, dis- how we can be disappointed as Christians. There's nothing wrong with being a Christian and having a dark day. You hear what I just said? It's nothing wrong with being a Christian and having a dark day or having some disappointment or having some grief or having some despair. There's nothing wrong. I want you to turn to John chapter 20. Here's a guy who walked for three years with Jesus. Three years. John chapter 20. Verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. You have to love that picture, by the way. The doors and windows are locked. Not a problem for Jesus. He's got that glorified body that you're going to have someday. It's a body that can walk through walls, even though you can touch the body. You can't, I can't explain it, but that's the way it is. Uh, and what does Jesus say to them? Peace be with you. Do you love that? Peace be with you. I know you're despairing. I know there's dark times, but the first thing I want you to know is peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Uh, and, and then uh, you're going to hear Thomas was not there. And so Thomas, really, Thomas did not believe it. And so moving further down in that same chapter, chapter 20, they say to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But this is verse 25. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. Yes, I walked with him. But I won't believe it until I put my own eyes and hands on him and touch him. And so you can be a Christian and suffer some unbelief. You can be a Christian and have some dark, despairing days. But look how the Holy Spirit comes. Look how Jesus comes. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Get up. Be a man. Believe. See it. I'm here. I'm for you. I love you. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. That's just a, a great, great passage. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed you. Because you haven't seen Jesus physically. You haven't put your fingers in his scars. But through the Holy Spirit, God has revealed to you exactly who he is. And because you have that confirmation in your heart and you believe in it, he is with you. And he comforts you, and he lifts you up in every possible way. And so it's critical for us to understand that in order to have this ongoing relationship with God and the Holy Spirit with us, that we have to be in communion with God. God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit, but you still have to speak to God. And the only way you speak to God is through the Bible, by studying the Bible and through prayer life. Uh, And you see that when you read Hebrews 11, 
Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter in the Bible. It talks about all the great champions of faith, uh, and it uses them all to be an example to us how to live our lives. But in, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, the very next cha- chapter, it says this, which summarizes all of those people of the great champions of faith. We must fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, there it is. You want to have that kind of abiding light in your heart. You want to be comforted. If you want to do that, and you want to have all the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do for you, to comfort you, to be with you, to pray for you, to lift you up, well, then you better set your eyes on Jesus. Pray regularly. Read regularly. And so, we heard this morning in church, we heard this morning about Paul, one of my great heroes, one of my great heroes. Uh, And Paul speaks profoundly about what it was that he had, that special relationship with Jesus Christ. And it really is through the Holy Spirit. And you, you know this, that Paul was effectively a Pharisee of all Pharisees. A Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was a tremendous intellect. And, and he became a blasphemer and a guardian of the Jewish faith against Christianity. And he went out to seek to throw hundreds of Christians in prison and went to Damascus for that very reason and had the greatest conversion in the history of the world on the road to Damascus. Well, I'd like you to turn, if you would, uh, to Philippians chapter 3. And here is now where you begin to understand exactly what it is, how the Holy Spirit works within your heart. All right? Paul had met Jesus in the Spirit on the road to Damascus. Uh, Paul went into the Saudi Arabian desert, and no human being ever gave Paul theology 101. You understand that? No human being ever gave Paul the theology of Jesus Christ. Effectively, out in the desert, through the Holy Spirit, it was Jesus through the Holy Spirit, that poured, literally poured, the gospel into him so that it would be distilled in him and he would then be able to articulate it to the world in a way that nobody would ever be able to do that. And so here in Philippians chapter 3 from verse 7, now he's talking about what this means to him. What does the Holy Spirit mean? What does this relationship mean? And remember, this is a man who would be imprisoned for years who would be beaten, who would be shipwrecked, uh, who would be tortured, um, and and in fact uh, killed, rise from the dead. Effectively, he'd been dead because he had been stoned, uh, and God delivered him. uh, And every every year was more uh, problematic in terms of the suffering that he would receive. He never had what you would call the great days, the affluent days. But but look what he says in verse 7. But whatever whatever was to my profit, meaning my old life, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And the class said, Amen. Amen. Yes. I'm not looking for the prize in this world. I'm not looking for the money or the big houses or the cars or the popularity. I'm looking to share with Jesus the sufferings of Jesus because I recognize that everything in this world is rubbish. Everything is rubbish. But if I look to him and I focus on him, I will gain everlasting life. I will be with him and have the life that he wants for me. And as I have that life that he wants for me, it will be a glorious life in this world and in the next. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. Father, I ask you that they resonate in our hearts this week and grow. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his encouragement and his teaching, Lord. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Thank you for the Holy Spirit that sits in our hearts and mediates for us every single day and encourages us. Yes, Lord, we know we have dark days. Yes, we know we're going to have disappointment. But at the end, all of this in this world is mere rubbish. Give, a, give us, Father, that vision of the other shore. Protect our people and let them be back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.